Good morning. I am the senior associate pastor. How many of you have ever watched The Office, the show The Office? Anybody? I am the Dwight Schrute of Redeemer's Church. I am the assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Good morning. Well, I am excited to uh, share this morning. And uh, this morning, I'm going to begin a series called After God's Heart. After God's Heart. We're going to be in this series for three weeks. And so uh, today will be the first installment of that. And what we're going to be doing is we are actually going to be discovering what the qualities are of a person who is after God's heart. Not everybody who believes in Jesus is necessarily after God's heart. It's not like a, a pre-qualifier for faith. But there are those who are absolutely obsessed with knowing God's heart. And they're different. They're not just the, 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 the normal believer. Obviously, uh, we would hope that that would be a desire of every Christ follower, but it's not necessarily the case. And so what, what are those qualities of a person's heart who is after God's heart? So as we begin this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of establish some parameters uh, of, of what, what that phrase, after God's heart, means so that we can narrow our scope and focus for the purpose of the series. I think the, the first thing that we need to understand about the phrase, after God's heart, is that there is a key word there. The key word in the phrase after God's heart is after, after. After has a lot of different meanings. It, if you look up the definition of after, it has a lot of different uh, meanings. But for the sake of this phrase, what after God's heart, the word after there really means is to be after God's heart is to be a person who is chasing or pursuing God's heart. Chasing or pursuing God's heart. How many of you have ever gone after something in your life or heard someone say, go after it? Let's, you need to go after that. This is like a, 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 a lot of times we use that phrasing in the sports arena. You need to go after it. Let's go after it. You're in practice and you're at the beginning of practice and someone stands up and gives the rah-rah speech to get everybody emoted. Let's get after it today. That's what it means. It means to be someone who is chasing or pursuing God's heart. Maybe you have gone after a dream. You've gone after a goal. You've gone after an ambition. Maybe you have uh, gone after a specific career. Maybe you have gone after a relationship or a friendship. If you're married in the room, you went after somebody. The person that you're married to is the person at one time in your life you were going after. Maybe you've gone after a specific lifestyle, or maybe you are that neighbor that finds yourself going after the dog that got loose. You know that neighbor. Where you're like, how in the world is that dog always off its leash? Every neighborhood has that neighbor. Every Saturday, running around the neighborhood, chasing the dog, yelling the dog's name, whatever. In that scenario, they're going after that dog. But listen to me this morning. Every one of us, say right now. Right now. Every one of us right now 
is going after something. Every one of us. And what you are after is an indication of what you most desire. Talk is, G- is cheap. Yeah, that's right. Amen? Yeah. I-, I love this. Uh, I was in sixth or seventh grade. Actually, I was sharing this story uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was in sixth or seventh grade, and Pastor Dwight uh, was not uh, the regional manager at the time. He was my head coach in basketball. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> we were playing Liberty Christian at the time. I went to Madison Christian, and uh, the guy who was guarding me, his name was Jacob, and, uh, you know, fast forward 20-some years later, uh, Allison actually is in a homeschool co-op group with his sister. So we went out on a double date, uh, you know, uh, her husband and her and Allison and I, and we were talking, and I said, I have a long history with your family. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I played your brother in seventh grade. And I'll never forget the first time he came up, he was like, I'm guarding you and you're not going to score. <laughs> and we were, it was an inbound play. And I, I got off of him. I got the ball. I dribbled to the foul line. I faked. I turned. And he fouled me. And I made the bus- bucket. And I said, don't talk about it. Be about it. Because <laughs> talk is cheap. Come on. <laughs> talk is cheap. You better be about it. Don't talk about it. You know, we're all after something, and what we are after is the indication of what we most desire. In high school, our football team's motto was, the proof of desire is in the pursuit. And that has remained with me over the course of my life. It just reoccurs in different times in my life. The proof of desire is in the pursuit. It's not necessarily that it's catchy or trendy, but the principle is true. The proof of desire is in the pursuit. Now, I can't tell you whether or not they were pursuing wins or losses because their record was terrible. (laughs) But the principle is the truth that when you want something, you will make a way. But when you don't, you will make an excuse. When you want something, you will make a way because the proof of desire is in the pursuit. But when you really don't, you will find whatever excuse is most convenient for where you are in your life. That often manifests itself in the counseling session with a pastor. Well, see, what had happened was Anything that comes after that phrase is never the way you made. It's the excuse you found. When you really want something, you make a way. When you really don't, you make an excuse. Every one of us right now is after something. Now, I understand this, that we all need to just uh, rest for a moment and say there's grace because we are not one-dimensional. We're not one-dimensional. It's easy to be one-dimensional as a child because when you're a child, you're afforded the reality that you don't have all of the roles and responsibilities of adulthood. I love when kids are consumed by one thing, and that one thing is, I just didn't get to play eight hours of video games today. 
That's a one-dimensional life. You don't have a whole lot else going on. But, but there's grace in adulthood because there's a reality that we can't be one-dimensional in the sense that we all have a lot to do and have a lot of responsibilities and roles. But in every one of us, in spite of all of the roles and hats that we carry, there still is a preeminent thing. There still is a preeminent thing. That preeminent thing, it exceeds everything else that we desire. Tonight, uh, LeBron James is going after his fourth NBA championship. I think it would be safe to say that that is the preeminent thing in his life right now. So we're all going after preeminent things. We got all these other things, we got all these hats, all these roles, but that but there is one thing in our heart that exceeds all of the others. And here's the thing about that thing. It's the thing we most treasure. It's the thing that takes priority. It's the thing that takes precedence above everything else. But with all of that being said, we can say all the right stuff, do all the right stuff, but we cannot lie to God as to what that is. One of my favorite names for God in the Old Testament is the God who sees. He sees it all. We cannot fake it. He knows it. He, he, we can say, God, you are the most treasured thing in my life but he knows whether or not that is true see we can lead people to believe we're going after one thing but be treasuring something different in our heart but we cannot trick God on that on this topic Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 in the passion translation he says this for your heart will always say always your heart will always pursue, always go after what you value as your treasure. That's right. So we can say all day that we are going after God's heart, but God really knows what is most treasured. Jesus actually addressed a similar issue between um, the Pharisees. And what was happening was the Pharisees were saying they valued something, but when the rubber hit the road... Their, their mouth didn't match up with their behavior. Jesus talks about this and addresses this in John chapter 5. The Pharisees were claiming that they valued eternity. They were claiming that they were valuing God's word. But let's take a look at what Jesus says. John chapter 5. Are you with me? Okay. John chapter 5, verse 37. Man, worship was so good. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, and what he's doing is he was addressing the contradiction that they were living. He said, And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me, and you have ne neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. Do you know you can read the word? but it not be abiding in you? He said, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search and you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And it is these scriptures that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. What was Jesus doing? Is he, was, he was identifying the fact that they were living a contradiction. We cannot deceive God when it comes down to what we're really going after. If the Pharisees were really going after the truth of God's word, they wouldn't just read it. They would see that it is a trail of breadcrumbs to the Messiah standing right in front of them. They said, yeah, I believe in eternal, eternal life. I love God's word. But you didn't love the one that the word was written about who's standing right in front of you. This word that you say you love is testifying about me. Yet you don't examine me. You don't know me. See, this was a contradiction. But let me just stop right for a moment because there is a dangerous issue that is seen here in this passage of scripture that I just want to talk about because when I was reading this, study, this passage of scripture, the Lord brought it up, but it has nothing to do with going after God's heart, but it's a dangerous issue that we need to talk about. Listen, what this passage re, uh, reveals is that you can know the word of God and not the mind of God. That is a dangerous place. To know the word of God but to not know the mind of God behind the word. If you want to write something down, listen to this. What is the mind of God? The mind of God is where you understand the heart of God behind what was written in Scripture. That was the Pharisees' problem. They knew the word of God, but they did not understand the heart of God because if they understand the heart of God, they would have understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of the word. You can quote scripture, you can know scripture, you can read scripture, but just because you read God's word does not mean you know God's mind and heart behind what was written. The Pharisees knew the word of God, but not the mind of God. And this is where that truth is most evident. Hear me out. It's evident in the lives of people who do not live according to certain scriptural principles or truths because they cannot wrap their minds around guy, God, why God would see a particular aspect of life that way. These are the people that say, these are the people that want to argue context. Well, contextually, you know, at that time, you just don't know the mind of God. Because if you would actually seek out the mind of God, you would discover the heart of God as to why he said it. Do you know how many of you have someone really close to you in your life? Just look at it. Some of you are like, God, okay, stop being so Christian. No, in real life. Do you know that you will give them a pass on what they say, even if it comes out the wrong way because you know their heart? That's what that is. They didn't give God a pass because they didn't know his heart. When you know the heart behind what was spoken, you will give grace to it because you understand the person where others won't. That's why, like, even on Facebook, people may say the dumbest stuff, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to, like, message them. I know their heart. Okay, I get it. Maybe they didn't say it the right way, but I know their heart. You can know the word of God and not know the mind of God. So let's go back to being a person after God's heart. Number one, 
going back to understanding the phrase after God's heart, number one, to be, someone who cha- uh, to be after God's heart is to be someone who chases or pursues God's heart because it, is, because it is the most valued treasure in your heart. It is the preeminent desire. The second meaning for the word after here, as it applies to the phrase, is this. One of the meanings or definitions of the word after is this. It is something that is done continuously or repeatedly. So you can't be defined as a person after God's heart if you aren't doing it repeatedly and continuously. It is not confined to one phase of your life. Now, I'm not reading that, and some of you could be discouraged because you're like, I want to be a person after God's heart. But for the last 10 years, as you're talking, I have not continuously and repeatedly gone after God's heart. That's okay. Today is a new day. Look, we are human beings, and God affords us the opportunity to have new mercy every single day, to try again, to go after God again, to make a new commitment for a new day that from this point on, I want to be someone after God's heart. But to be that person, it has to be continuously or repeated. So what that tells us from the start of the message is to be a person after God's heart is not a one-time pursuit. It's something that, you, that is not just uh, confined to a season of your life. It's something that's found over the course of your life. So the per- for the purpose of the series, when we talk about being a person after God's heart, by definition, is not a one-time chase or pursuit. It is a perpetual, consistent, devoted, dedicated exploration of the heart of God. In the same way, that being after your husband or wife's heart is not a one-time pursuit. I love the phrase that says, in marriage, you should continue to chase your wife or your husband. Pursue your wife or your husband. I'm thankful that 13 years, 13? It's like I'm playing. You'll be like, you don't know? I'm thankful that 13 years into this, I'm still learning, and she's still learning. It's because we're chasing. We're pursuing. It's it's a continuous, repeated thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, let me just say this. I don't know about you, but when I think about my life, I want the legacy of my life to express to God that I was a person after his heart. You know what what legacy is? Legacy is the record of what you went after. When people look back at your life, they will remember what you most chased, what you most pursued, what you most went after. Your children will remember whether or not you were going after them or you were going after ambition, or you were going after a career, or you were going after perceived success. Legacy is the record of what you went after. And I want want my days on the earth to be remembered by God as a person that through the course of my life, I was a man after his heart. And let me just stop for a moment. I'm not, endeavor- I'm not endeavoring 
to be a person after God's heart because I'm a pastor. I'm not endeavoring, I'm not even endeavoring to be a person after God's heart because I'm married or because I'm a husband or because I am a father or because I go to church. I'm not endeavoring that, to be a man after God's own heart for that. You know why I want to be a man after God's own heart? For God and God alone. I really don't care what anybody thinks of me. It pales in comparison to what God would say about me. And so I endeavor for the course of my life to make decisions that say, I don't care what you think. What does he think? What does he know? Because here's the thing. If you are a person that wants to be a person after God's heart for God and God alone, then you will not compartmentalize the counsel of God to specific places in your life. See, there are people that say, I want to know God's mind on this. And the reason why is because they want God to be the God of that. But when you are a person after God's heart, nothing is off limits. There's no boundaries or boxes that you are seeking the counsel of God on. Hear me out. When you're a person after God's heart, you want all of his counsel on everything. God, I want to know what you're thinking about this. I want to know what you're thinking about this house I'm trying to buy. I want to know what you're thinking about my money. I want to know what you're thinking about, about being a husband because I want to know your heart for my wife. I want to know what you're thinking about being a father because I want your heart for my kids. I want to know what you're thinking about being an American citizen because I want to know your heart for that. There is nothing off limits when you are after God's heart. You are obsessed and fixated on what is God's counsel, what is in his heart, what is he thinking, what does he know. I want to know his heart. I want to be after it. Nothing is off limits. You're obsessed. You're consumed. God, I want to know your heart. Above everything else, I don't care what other people think. I want to know your heart. I, listen, it goes down for me. It, goes, it trickles down to, I want to know your heart for the person that is a candidate. Has it gotten there yet? Because no matter who is elected, God has a heart for the person who's running. For the person who's up for election. He has a heart for them. That's what it means to be someone who is after God's heart. I, I don't care about the platform. God, what is your heart for them? Can I see them through your eyes. In the, I want to know God's heart in the way that I'm an employee. Because I want to know what God says about my boss. I, I want to know God's heart about what it means to be under authority. I want to know what God's heart is for me on social media. You know why all these things matter? Because he's the God who sees. We think that social media is virtual reality. But it's very real to the God who sees.
if you want to know if you're a person after God's heart, then answer the following question. What do you go to most for life's answers, God or Google? God or Google? What do you go to? See, I want to align my life to be like Jesus who said, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. Matthew 6, 33. Do you know to seek first the kingdom is to seek first the king of the kingdom? It's not to seek a principle. It's to seek the king for his counsel on every area of my life. That's what it means to be someone who's after God's heart. And can I tell you, that will make your life so much slower because it demands that you shut up and listen. To simplify what it means to be a person who is going after God's heart, I think about what Paul said in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. He said, whatever, say whatever. Whatever, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The message translation says it this way. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. The Passion Translation says it this way. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of the Lord Jesus. See, I think the reality is that the things that you can dismiss as whatever and invaluable to you actually matter to God. So my encouragement and challenge this morning is whatever you do, Seek to bring glory to God in it. Maybe you're in the church and you're serving in these different positions and you are confusing significance. You confuse success and significance when you undermine the value of whatever you do in God's heart. Because there's a level playing field in serving. So maybe it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm on the greeting team. Whatever you do. Uh, I'm just playing an instrument, whatever you do. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's a, what matters is who you are doing it for and how you are trying to bring glory to God in it. Whatever you do seek to bring glory in God's heart, a person who is after God's heart is going to be seeking the following two things. First one is this. How can I demonstrate God's heart in this whatever? In other words, how can I bring an understanding of God's mind to this matter? So when you're, when you're someone that has a passion to say, whatever I'm going to do, I'm bringing glory to God. One of the things that that means is that you are wanting to see, bring God's mind to the matter. The second thing is this. You're going to be focused on how can I honor God in this whatever. Can I tell you, when, when you have a revelation of the God who sees, you won't cut any corners. Think about some of the side projects that uh, Pastor Dwight and I do or things like that. It comes down to integrity. 
It comes down to what you're doing behind closed doors that matters. It comes down to the fact that if I'm painting, I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to do the best job I can do, not for a customer, but because my integrity is at stake. Because Jesus is seeing that I am doing this, and I see my ability to do it as something to steward well before the God who sees it. It's not about pleasing a customer. Because I'm focused, if I'm focused on pleasing a customer, I can cut a corner. Because, hey, if they knew how to do it, they would be doing it. So I can just cut a corner on it. But because there is a God who sees it, like Samuel who served in the temple, I'm going to do the best I can in whatever I'm doing to bring glory to God. This is what matters. So how can I honor God in this whatever? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And here's the amazing thing. So we talked about the fact that after God's heart means that you're chasing or pursuing him. And, and he is the preeminent desire in your heart. The second thing we talked about is that that being after God's heart means that you are doing it consistently. You're doing it uh, repeatedly. You're doing it persistently. Um, and you know what's amazing is that scripture actually tells us that God found that person. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that throughout the course of the Bible, God was actually seeking after people who were after his heart. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there are people that God is going after that are going above and beyond the call of duty. He's actually looking for those people. So to be someone who is after God's heart does not necessarily mean you're a believer. It means your belief, your faith has invaded and infected every part of your life. And your preeminent desire is, how can I do what I'm doing? How can I be what God wants me to be so that everything that I do demonstrates and expresses to him that I'm after his heart? Second Chronicles reveals God's perpetual search, and I'm getting ready to close um, in a minute. Second Chronicles 16.9, I wrote this in the article. Hanani was a prophet. He was a prophet during the time of King Asa, who was the king of Judah. And Asa was behaving in a way. He, he, had, he had deviated from actually seeking the counsel of God in the way that he was leading. And Hananiah comes in, the, in a moment where Asa is about to make a decision that's going to affect the nation, and he, he wants to remind him. And so this is his reminder. He says this in 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes, Asa, let me remind you. Let me bring this up again, because this is a reoccurring heart that God has. has. Let me remind you, Asa, for the eyes of the Lord... Move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. God is still searching. In 2020, he's still going after the hearts of those that are after his heart. And he found that person, one person, and we find that name in the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. In this book, or in this chapter, Paul is preaching. 
in a synagogue on the Sabbath in Pisidian Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, in the midst of his sermon, he identifies this character. And in Acts chapter 16 verses, or Acts chapter 13, verse 16, he says, Paul, it says, Paul stood in motion that he had something to say. He said, listen, all of you Jews and non-Jews who worship God. The God of Israel divinely chose our ancestors to be his people. While they were enslaved in Egypt, he made them great, both in numbers and in strength, until he unveiled his mighty power and led them out of bondage. For nearly 40 years, he nursed them in the wilderness. He was the one who destroyed the seven nations inhabiting, inhabiting the land of Canaan and afterward gave the land to his people as their inheritance. This took up about 450 years. Then God raised up deliverers for the people until the time of the prophet Samuel. In verse 21, the people craved for a king. So God gave them the one, them one from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, the son of Kish, who ruled for 40 years. And here it is. After removing him, God raised up David to be king. And I want you to listen to the language here because it reveals God's heart to find those after him. He says, for God said of David, I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man who always pursues. Remember we talked about being after God's heart is continuously and repeatedly. I have found in David a man, by the way, I went to Acts 13 instead of 1 Samuel to throw y'all off. Everybody that was like, everybody was like, it's David. And then I go to Acts 13, they're like, wait a minute. He says, I have found a man in David, a man who always pursues my heart, and he will accomplish all that I have destined him to do. Amen. And this is the thing that I love about, about what Paul says next, because David, David was like a predecessor of what we see modeled in the life of Jesus. And in verse 23, it says, from David's lineage, listen to me, from a legacy of a man who went after me, God brought Israel a savior just as he promised. For the next two weeks, we are going to be diving head first into the life of David to discover what was it in his heart. What was it that we see in his life for God to give him that title? Because that's what it's about. Only Allison can tell me if I'm after her heart. Only God can tell you if you're really after his. So we can have all these people crowd around us, these amen people, encouraging people. Brother... You're a man after God's own heart. I want him to say that. I really want that from him. I don't care what you think. Because he knows my heart. My accountability to be a person after God's own heart is not on you. It's on God and God alone. And so I, the thing, I'll just say, I'll just stop here. But the thing that I love about David is this. You know that, uh, Jesse, you know this, you're a science, science guy, right? What year did, did, what was it, Copernicus that finally said, we are not 
the universe is not geocentric, it's heliocentric. Adam, 1600s. So we discovered that the sun's actually not orbiting us. We're orbiting the sun. David was a man after on his own heart because he was orbiting God. His, his, his focus, his direction was orbiting wherever God was in every facet of his life. And one of the things that I want to encourage you, because so many of you already have the backstory about David, about, well, what about Bathsheba? What about his compromise? We'll get into all of that. But one of the things that you have to know about a person after God's own heart is it has less to do with perfection and has more to do with direction. Yeah, he had a compromise, a momentary lapse. But what was the direction? Because being someone after God's own heart is about legacy, not moments. Not, well, at this moment. It's about the continuous, repeated, through the course of your life, orbiting God's heart. Will you stand with me? I have found a person who always pursues my heart. A person who is after my heart. Here's my, my question, or this is my, my, my challenge. And I actually would love to have um, some people come up uh, to, to be prepared to pray in, with individuals. But in the month of October, okay, over the course of these three weeks, will you, will you make a commitment to God to say, God, as we dive into this topic of being someone who is after God's heart, I want to commit to allow you to refine my life so that I can be that person. And here's, here's some thoughts that I just wrote down. Will you commit to be a person that says, God, I want to be a person after your heart. Teach me to be a person with your mind and your heart towards everyone and everything in my life. To be a person after God's heart requires that you fix your your. your your, your heart and your mind upon God that he would give you his counsel about what he thinks and the desires of his heart toward everyone and everything in your life. So this is what I want you to do. If that is you, I just want you to come forward. And I want you to find a person to receive prayer. Now, here's the, the other thing that I want to add to this. I feel like the Lord said, wanted to, to just put this on my heart. Maybe there are some of you that as I was talking about the preeminent thing, the preeminent desire of your heart, I felt like the Lord maybe had revealed some things in this phase of your life that superseded him. And I want to give you the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer and be encouraged and challenged and inspired by the Lord. And so I'm just going to pray and we're going to release you, but I don't want you to lose the opportunity to come forward and receive genuine ministry that you would be inspired, encouraged, and motivated. You would get that umph. That's what prayer is.
It's that oomph to catapult you forward in this area of becoming someone after God's heart. So will you join me as I pray, and then we're just going to give our team the opportunity to minister. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I pray. Father, Revelation says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you are lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. God, I pray that we as a church would not be lukewarm. But Father, we would be hot with a passion to be consumed and obsessed with knowing your heart. Father, that we would keep that the main thing. We would not be deviated by trivial matters. But Father, we would seek your counsel. Father, that we would be a people that know your mind behind your word so that we can understand your heart. Jesus, I pray that we would be seen by you, not by other believers, but by you and you alone as a people who are after your heart, God. We want to know your heart. We want to be after your heart, God. Father, I pray that that would be the preeminent treasure of our life. Throughout the course of our life, that we would seek to know your heart in everything that we encounter, in everything that we think, in everything that we do, that we would be a people of the whatevers that bring glory to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. See you for week two, next week of being after God's heart. Once again, the altar ministry is here for you. God bless you. We love you. Thank you.